0: Let's welcome Michael Wallace. Thank you, Anna. Well, I guess this must be what it feels like to have your sermon preached before you get up here. God is amazing. Ashley preached the whole sermon, I, literally. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed because what was nuts is I was coming in and I had no idea the direction this was going to go. I had, I don't know. I talked to Brandon and studied all week. The Lord was showing me all this stuff. and I was like, there's no way this is coming out in one sermon. There's no way. And Ashley just preached it. And Anna just preached it. Um, that's a, that's Unbelievable. Well, for those of you who know me, you know that I like sports. Last time I talked, we talked about sports. And I grew up as a baseball player. And so the Lord likes to show me things with sports. And um, one of the biggest things that athletes, and especially baseball players, I mean, every, all athletes, they, they focus on form and posture. And I know as a, as a baseball player, as an athlete, I spent hours crafting a swing. Hours, I mean, hundreds of hours working, hitting off a tee. There used to be this thing called the Ken Griffey Jr. Hitting tee. And it had you, it, 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 if you weren't right, you would hit the, you hit these these uh, like poles. And so you didn't want to do that, but you're always working through a swing. And I would hit a hundred balls off a tee every day. And just to work on that swing, hundred balls every day, religiously. And, and, they're, and golfers do the same thing. They have a perfect, I mean, that is like the elusive golf swing. Am I right? Anybody, has anybody in the room got a perfect swing? I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> right, right. If Stu was here, he would, he would raise his hand. <laughs> but, no, I spent so much time, in, and that doesn't even compare to what professional athletes do. I mean, they, they still work so hard on their swing. I remember uh, growing up, and, and we were, it was in 1998, there was a, a great home run battle. It was a duel between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. At the time, it was great. Now, looking back, it wasn't so great. They were, they were loaded on steroids. But it was okay. It's okay, Anna. It's all right. We know, all know the Cardinals were cheaters. So we're... <laughs> So in 1998, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire are going after Roger Maris's, I believe, home run record. Hank Aaron. N- what? I don't think it was Hank Aaron. So single season home run, single season home run record, and um, and so they're going crazy. It was actually the Cardinals and the Cubs were playing each other, and Mark McGuire hits the home run that breaks the breaks the record. Well, two days later at practice, our coach brings in the front page of the paper. And on the front page of that paper, wasn't Mark McGuire celebrating like, you know, he, they drove him around the stadium in a car. I mean, I remember watching this thing. It was a big deal. They didn't bring, that wasn't the, the, the front page of the paper. The picture was him at the point of contact, fully loaded, hands extended out in front of the plate when he hit the ball. And it was absolute perfect form. And our coach was going, see right here, this is what practice gets you. This is what all those days off of he- tee gets you, was this. And so, you know, I just, it was ingrained in me, posture and form. And the title of the message today is Posture in Seasons of Restriction. Anybody feel like we're in a season or have been in a season of restriction? This isn't the only time we've been in a season of restriction and it won't be the last time we're in a season of restriction. But as a whole, we're in a season of restriction. And sometimes those restrictions are God-ordained. Or God sometimes they're just forces of nature. Sometimes there's the enemy. And they all three can look the same. And I want to be careful that we don't give credit to the devil what the Lord's doing and we don't give credit to you know, the Lord and say, the Lord's doing this thing when really it just, might just be a force of nature. And it's really easy to miss those things. First scripture we're going to talk about, well, before we get there, this year has been an interesting year. I remember in December, I was having this conversation with the Lord, and it went a little bit like this, and he was talking to me about Disciplines. So my wife and Janine were actually talking about doing this like diet thing and I was making fun of it, hardcore making fun of it because I like to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. Amen. Amen. And, and I, I was making fun of it. Well, later I was having this conversation with the Lord and he brought me back to this conversation. I was like, okay. And he and he said, "So why don't you why don't you want to do that?" I said, well, I just I don't want to. Said, okay, well, you think you're disciplined enough to do it? Went mm, probably. You know, I'm. My wife would tell you if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Amen. <laughs> but it's got to be my idea, or else I'm not doing it. Y'all calm down. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, okay then, we'll pull out a piece of paper and I want you to write down the areas in your life that you're disciplined in. Hmm. (laughs) I got to two. (laughs) One, two. And then I was stumped. I discovered that I wanted what I want, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, and I did those things. And it manifested in a lot of different areas, but the specific area the Lord was asking me about was my entitlement mentality towards food. And so, okay, Lord, my answer's yes. And so began a 30-day process where just to cut out dairy, sugar, and grains. And I thought I was gonna die. Not during on the front on the front part of it. It was like, oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna die. Like I have a sweet tooth, I love chocolate. I'm like that kind of guy who loves to drink milk. I cannot eat sweets and not drink milk. It's I love bread. I mean there's so much and, and I just found myself feeling entitled to it. And the Lord was like, huh? am I not enough? Right? where's, where's, where's Ashley? And so for 30 days, cut that out. And I discovered a grace that I've never encountered in my life. Not once did I cheat because normally Michael would find a way. Come on, babe. We can just have a cheat meal this weekend, right? Right? Come on, <laughs> calm down, <laughs> Bethany. <laughs> but I found a grace in that season that I've never encountered. And by grace, I mean an empowerment to actually do something that I could not have done on my own. And that was, that was huge. And it was like the Lord was teaching me something about grace. Grace. And so we're going to talk a little bit about about that. And the first passage we're going to pull up is 2 Corinthians 12 in verse 8. So before this, Paul's had these visions. He's like, I don't know if I'm in the spirit or if I'm in my body and all these things. And he's like, but would you know it, just so the Lord would keep me humble, he sent Satan to give me a thorn in the flesh. Interesting, that'll mess with all of our theological constructs at the time. But that's what he did right here. And he picks up in verse 8 and says, Three times i pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. Have you ever asked God to relieve you of something? (laughs) Christy has asked the Lord to relieve her of something at least three times. Anybody else? But this is what the Lord answered with. My grace is always more than enough for you. It's always sufficient. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I'll celebrate my weakness. For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. My weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Our weaknesses are a portal for God's power. I love that verbiage that they put there. Because I literally found that right there in that place. It was like, this is a weakness for me right here. Now you gotta you gotta understand. Like for me, food was kind of like I wanted to go to Bojangles or whatever. I love fast food. I just I just do. I love the you know uh, the greasy cheeseburger and all those things. And and I'm not hating. It was just there was a but there was a mentality thing inside of it, and there was literally a weakness for me here. I had lost self control, and the Lord shows my grace is sufficient in the middle of your weakness and I know we've said it around here for I don't know I've been here 12 years grace is his spirit that works in our circumstance that does more than we can do on our own and I've seen it I haven't witnessed it but never like this past 45 days And I wonder how many of us are in the room or in that place where well, there's something that we're dealing with that we need grace with. Not just, oh, let it slide. I got to give myself some grace, right? I took about, I don't know, seven months and studied Romans. And that was, that was unbelievable in and of itself. But we, we give ourselves an out. and the lord's going my grace is sufficient for you right here. And there's so many seasons where we avoid restriction. We avoid we avoid it. We don't want to tell ourselves no. We don't we don't want to be restricted. We want to be able to do what we want when we want it, right? But I was reminded of time after time when God puts I mean just I mean just take just take this example when he when he makes the garden and God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, there was restriction. No sin. In the world, but there was still restriction in the garden. You can eat of everything except this one tree, right? And what do we, what do we, what you tell yourself not to do something and guess what? <laughs> try it. Just try it. Just try it for the rest of the day. Say, you know what? I'm not going to have ice cream for dinner tonight. Yeah, I said ice cream for dinner. Don't, don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done that. Y'all judging heathens. <laughs> I used to eat a whole roll of Oreos for breakfast. <laughs> but then I got married and got saved. Y'all thought this belly was from Bethany's cooking. <laughs> that's the roll of Oreos I had for breakfast. <clears throat> I lost 10 pounds. So yeah, you know, (laughs) weakness is a portal to God's power. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, asked to remove it three times. And if we think there's just like one that we live with throughout our whole life, and there is, they're like part of our impoverished Western gospel is we don't talk about perseverance anymore. it's there. When you read the Gospels and you read from Genesis, from cover to cover, you'll see perseverance. Not if, when. And there's seasons of it. Whether the Lord brings it upon us or, or not, there's seasons of it. Grace finds its full expression through our weakness. Grace finds its full expression through our weakness. So in this process, there was a list of things that I felt like the Lord's asked me to take care of, but not all at one time because you know how we can all like, have you ever ever noticed that sometimes, I love how David says this, search me, O God, and point out any way in me, right? He asked the Lord to point it out. He didn't go diving in himself because then all the, what he would find he'd be just covered in shame and guilt and like uh and then you're like well I'm just got I'm so jacked up I don't even know where to start. That's how I feel most days. But what what's amazing about grace is when the Lord his He sends forth his word, and he will accomplish that which he sent forth to do. It will literally carry grace. So if the Lord's asking you to deal with something, there will be grace attached to it. But when we go on our own missions to try to start improving ourselves and being perfected in the flesh, we'll fail. And then we find up, we wind ourselves going, man, I just, can't, I just keep struggling with the same old thing, but we're trying to do it in the flesh. If you read Galatians, he's like, Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, why do you think that you can be perfected in the flesh what was started in the spirit. We can't just self-will ourselves into something. It doesn't work that way. And so, in the process of this, there was one of the things where I knew that I needed to work on my eating and I knew the other thing that I needed to do was move. I was 32 years old and felt like I was a lot older. And so, my good friend Nathan Swart um, is a professional trainer. And he had been on me for about a year and a half. Like, let me train you. Let me train you. Let me train you. Man, I want to train you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to be sore. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so then we're at Staff Retreat and Vulo and I are going to the gym. And I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. I was so sore that first week. Cheryl can attest. I, w- I couldn't hardly walk. And I just did squats, <laughs> but I couldn't walk. And so Nathan and I are at the gym. We, we go to Body by Vulo's house and work out. And Nathan comes and meets me, and we work out two or three times a week. And one day, I had never really lifted much weight uh, weights growing up. And so one day, we're in there, and, and we're on the, on the bench, and I'm getting ready to do bench press. And, and I start to try to do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, what, I'm just benching the bar and this is like, I feel like I'm benching 300 pounds. I'm about to die benching the bar. And he said, no, 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 no. He's like, let's work, you're not activating the right muscles. I was like, oh, okay. And so he's like, pinch your shoulder blades back, activate those rhomboids back there and you'll feel it right here. And now that'll keep your shoulders back cause you got pretty bad posture. So you need to like keep them shoulders back So that way you're activating the right muscles. You're isolating the muscles that need to be activated. Immediately I was able to do more than I could have done. Because by having the wrong form and the wrong posture, I was going to hurt myself. My shoulder has been jacked up for a long time and I could feel it in my shoulder. I was trying to carry the weight where it wasn't meant to be carried. So I'm out here instead and trying to put all the weight out here. And the Lord's like, no, 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 you're going to hurt yourself. I've put this thing and I've made a way by way of community, by way of relationship, mind you, not on my own doing. To help, help teach you what form and posture is. And so now every time I get on the bench, I'm like, all right, shoulders back, push forward. Okay. All right. I think I, all right. Can we just stay at 25 pounds, Nathan? This is comfortable. No, 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 no. We're going we're to stretch that. We're going to bring stress to an isolated group of muscles so that activation can occur. And I feel like that is a prophetic picture of what the Lord is doing in his church. There is a, We've been trying to do things out of posture, out of form. And when we do that on our own, we'll get hurt. Has anybody ever encountered church hurt? Everybody, a hand should raise. <laughs> Unless this is your first time in a church building. We're not done yet. <laughs> it happens. And I think the Lord is teaching us something this season. We cannot be so ready to get out of this season. Because this season is valuable. If you look at the trees right now, they're not stressing about trying to produce leaves. They're okay with barrenness right now. They're okay with it. There's a clarity that winter brings that no other season brings, and their roots are growing deeper and they're resting and they're recovering. But spring's coming and my wife is so ready for it. (laughs) But there will be something that spring brings that will be for its season. And we're in a season as a church, collectively. I'm ready to get into our building. Oh, hallelujah. And we're close. But if I can't recognize God's provision of this building and this season, then I'll be just like the Israelites complaining about eating manna in the desert. They'd been set free from Exodus, but yet they're like, no, we're out here to die. And the Lord's given us manna in front of us. When I think about restrictions, you have the garden And I think about Hannah. And I'm probably not going to read it, but I encourage you to read the first three chapters of 1 Samuel. They are mind-blowing. So Hannah, it says about Hannah that God had closed her womb. Again, we can get off some theological ditches. That's what it says about this specific situation. God had closed her womb. And at that time, a woman being barren was the worst thing that could happen. And she wanted a child. And she pleaded with God and begged with God and asked for a child. And year after year after year, no children. Meanwhile, her husband, Elkanah, and his other wife, Panaya, was having, she was a birthing factory. She was having kids, spitting them out left and right. And, it's, and, it was, and it was hard for Hannah because she's going, and Elkanah would feed her and treat Hannah more favorably because he knew she was barren. And so Hannah goes to the temp- temple and it says that Levi was the priest at the time, and, and Levi was sitting in his customary seat, which I would say was a pseudo-seat of honor. Because his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, were atrocious, to say the least, entitled, thinking it was all about them, sleeping with people, eating the offerings of the Lord. That was Levi's two sons. And so Levi is sitting in his customary seat of honor. And Hannah walks in. And it says that he thought she was drunk because her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. But it says that Hannah, like, wailed before the Lord. She, was, she wasn't drunk. She was just drunk on hope. And her posture, her form, is I think a form that we probably should take on. And you know, it says that she, she asked the Lord, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back to you. If you give me a male, because at that time, firstborn males were given to the, given to the Lord because those were the Levites. And so she gives Samuel to the Lord. She, she, she gets pregnant. She has a child, Samuel. And it says when she had weaned Samuel, which was about three years old ish, maybe four, she takes Samuel to the temple and gives them to the Lord. So now Levi is is the guardian of Samuel. Talk about kids' ministry. And it says that Samuel, from a young age, served and ministered to the Lord. And that's why I love what was on Anna's heart. I mean, we've been praying that as a staff and praying that that we would continue to grow and praying that the Lord would grow that culture. That this garden's going to grow. And it says about Samuel that not a word he... So he, Samuel is a, a kid and he's laying down one day and Eli, he, he, he hears Samuel. Samuel, you know the story, right? He gets up, goes to, goes to Levi and they like, I didn't call your name, go back to bed. It won't be long before I'm telling Joshua, go back to bed. Hey, boy, get, get in there. I'm trying to take a nap. Go back to sleep. Three times. And then Levi goes, wait a minute. He's hearing the Lord. And how important for us to teach at that moment, Levi teaches Samuel how to hear God's voice, how to engage God. He said, "Next time you hear it, Samuel, I want you to respond. Here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening." And so, we are in a we are in a we are in a, a, a position and in a season, church, that I think the Lord's doing a lot of things right. And when He brings His correction and His judgment, they're not punitive; they have restoration in mind. They have a plan. For a, they're a restorative act. And I believe that we, we, are, we are sitting at a, at, a, at, a, at a time and a season to where just like with Samuel, the Lord is birthing something new, which is a picture of Christ. Samuel's a picture of Christ. Samuel was the first prophet. Samuel would go and carry the horn, the horn of oil that would anoint David not being oppressed with Jesse's sons who all look like kings, but actually had the eyes to see what the Lord was doing, had the eyes to see the Lord's anointed. And I'm praying that we as a church would be, have eyes to see like Samuel, to see what God's doing, see the Lord's anointed, that we'd have ears like Samuel, where we'd hear the voice of the Lord and do it. And it says about Samuel from a young age that not a word he said fell dead, fell to the ground, not a word he said. And as a child, he ministered before the Lord. What does it look like for us to minister before the Lord? I take that incredibly, that's a responsibility that's uh, of highest value to me. That my job as a worship pastor is to minister to the Lord. My job as a husband is to minister before the Lord. My job as a father is to minister before the Lord, to minister to him. And I think there's been so much, so many conversations in the last year. I don't know if you've heard them or had them or thought them about. You've heard the term deconstruction. Anybody anybody heard that term? That the Lord's not in the corporate gathering anymore. There's always a counterfeit to what God's doing. See, what we've done in this, what I think God's, we have to come to and and receive a grace that the Lord's given us to unlearn a theology that has been at best tainted and at worst poison to make us think it's all about us. And I think what the Lord's doing is he's unraveling that. He's given us opportunity to unravel that. And that if we blow up one thing or the other, if we blow up discipleship, it won't work. If we blow up evangelism, it won't work. If we blow up community groups and small groups, it won't work. If we blow up the Sunday gathering, it won't work. It's all supposed to be meant to happen together. You cannot separate discipleship and evangelism. They work together. And I think the Lord is doing something in this church for we can posture and activate its, it's stress on, a, on an isolated group of muscles right now that are bringing activation to something so that we'll actually be able to carry what the Lord's doing. When you read Romans 5, it says, you know, it talks about persev- perseverance and, it's, and it, says, it says this thing right here. I I'm going to try to go to my notes. I haven't done it. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> he says this right here, that perseverance produces character. and character produces hope. We're just saying living hope, right? It's all about Christ. It's all about him doing the work in us. And what I think I remember Don Potter pulled Pastor Alex and I aside several years ago and he said the Lord wants to know something. The Lord wants to know what you're going to do with the anointing that's coming. And when you usually think that. I know at the time, I'm like, oh, revival's coming. It's gonna be good. The Lord's coming, right? And he is, but revival is not just meant for this this corporate setting. Revival's right here in the individual's heart. And it takes character, character, being submitted and putting on the the old song, I'm the potter, you're the clay, being put up on the altar and letting the Lord form your character, letting the Lord do it. Because if we try to fix our own character and try to strive for righteousness, it won't happen. We'll get hurt. It's gotta be in submission to the Lord and he begins to reveal stuff. He'll go, hey, I wanna talk to you about discipline a little bit. You've kind of thrown out the disciplines of the faith. I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Okay, Lord. And then you'll find a grace. Because the Lord's not going to bring you to something that he won't see you through. Right? He will finish what he starts. And he started something in his church. He loves his church. This thing and you. You're his church. You're his church. I'm his church. We are his church. It's both And he's going to see it through to completion. And I just want to have the eyes of Simeon and Anna. When they saw the infant Christ, they went my eyes have seen salvation where I can see the seed and not have to see the full picture. And the Lord's doing something. I don't know exactly what it is. The Lord's birthing something. And Samuel was a reformation. And I just want to be a part. We got one more verse and then I'm done. And he always finished what he starts, and I think perfect love casts out fear, and we're being perfected in love. Not by our own striving, but we're being perfected in love. Ephesians 3. Verse 8, I have been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Even though I am the least significant of all of his holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to non-Jewish people, sharing them with the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. My passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders, every dominion in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. This perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. My dear friends, I pray that you will remain strong and not be discouraged or ashamed by all that I suffer on your behalf for it is for your glory. Verse 14, so I kneel humbly in, in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven on earth. And I pray that He would unveil you with the unlimited riches of His glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with His divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, which is what Ashley prophesied just minutes ago, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of His love will become the very source and root of your love. We're being rooted and grounded and perfected in love. Verse 18, then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measure, beyond measurement, That transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. Grace. Never doubt His grace because it's sufficient. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to you, God, all the glorious praise that rises from every church and every generation through Jesus Christ, and that you will yet be manifest through time and eternity. This work is generational. We might not see it's what it's going to we're not going to see the fullness of it. We're just going to see a piece of it. Samuel was a piece, David was a piece. pray that we get caught up in his story and that our yeses, like Anna said, our yeses to him will be caught up in his story. I'll serve anywhere. Just put your glory in me. That's our posture, right? Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for shouting the message of grace to us this morning. Through worship, through every song we sing, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness because I know that's where you show yourself strong in me. So I boast in my weakness, knowing that in my weakness, You're made strong. Your grace is sufficient for me in that place. So, Lord, we thank you. We bless you. I pray that every person in the room would just begin having those conversations with you. Search me. That we wouldn't go dumpster diving into our own emotions, into our own mess. Lord, that we'd recognize the grace that's in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have some exciting news. We've been recording a little bit. And Laura's song, Mystery, that we've sang in here a couple times, it's almost done. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Laura, y'all remember, y'all know the song Mysteries I'm talking about? In the midst of these holy mysteries, all I can do is bow. I would sing it for you, but all I have in the key is a girl's key and that won't sound good. But it's coming out soon. And I was seeing it in all the, all the passage in Ephesians, this mystery. And just the Lord's shouting right now. So be on the lookout for it. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.